You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Oh, man, haven't we just had just some great weekends the past couple of months? We've just had some weekends with just some really good information. But if you're like me as a parent, I feel like now I've got a list as long as my arm about what I need to do, not do, correct, recorrect, you know, be aware of, fix, undo, redo. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else feel like you got, you know, like the list is as long as your arm? Okay, so we judge ourselves as parents, right? Don't we? Yeah, we, and we judge ourselves based off of what? Our kids' behavior, right? Yeah, so when your kids are just acting ugly, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I am a terrible parent. I do not know how to parent. It, but when your kids are beautiful, angels are like, oh my gosh, babe, we're doing such a good job. We are just, we really got this thing down. What if you have just angels for kids? I mean, they don't do anything wrong. They're just the perfect little children. And you see somebody else's kids acting ugly. Well, tell me you don't be start judging up them parents because of the way their kids are acting. We do that, right? Don't we do that? So answer me this. How come we don't judge God based off of his kids? Ooh, deep. Going deep. Online, we're going deep. Right now, everybody online, they just pulled the computer a little bit closer. What did he just say? I mean, I'm serious. Think about it. God is a father, right? So, I mean, the first two children he had, he literally gave them the world. Literally gave it to them. And it wasn't enough, right? I mean, there was this thing inside them. They just wanted a little bit more. So much so that God said, look, I've given you everything. There's just this one thing, all right? Just don't, you're not ready for it. You're not mature enough. You're not old enough. Let dad handle this part. Y'all literally can do everything else, okay? But dad's gonna have to take care of this. And their, resp- their reply to that, no, I do it. I do it. <laughs> and they did. But we don't judge God, right? So next time your kids act all ugly, be like, that's not my problem. You know, that's not my problem. And the truth is, it's not the kids, right? It's not the behavior. We don't don't judge God, A, because he's God. So we're like, we get that. But God didn't judge his children because there's an issue in his children of sin, right? So the real issue is the sin. So there's sin in our children, but then there's also sin in us, right? So that complicates it even more. So it's not like you're the perfect parents and you're just trying to figure out how to deal with your children's sin. It's like they've got sin, that affects them and their behavior. You've got sin, that affects you and your behavior. So now you've got this really complicated problem and you're trying to figure out, man, how do you parent with all this mess that's going on? So I was looking at a bunch of... Um, books from Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell is a Christian author who's written over 150 books on parenting. And he's got these three basic core truths that, you know, he says, I'm going to say this over and over a thousand different ways, but they're in all of those books. And the truths are this. This is what he has discovered looking at the Bible, looking at, you know, our call to parent our children. And these are the common themes that he's found. Number one is that rules without relationship breeds rebellion. Number two is that truth without relationship produces rejection. And then the third thing is that discipline without relationship produces anger and bitterness and resentment. 
So it's not hard to see from that list that there's a common denominator that runs through all three of those, the relationship piece, because it is true that this is God's word and God's word contains the rules for living a holy and righteous life. So those rules are in this Bible and this Bible is truth. It is absolute truth. It is God's truth. It is his breathed word. So that is true as well. And in here are the guidelines for discipline for parents on how to discipline their children, for church leaders on how to take care of discipline within the church, for governments and people in positions of authority on how to exercise discipline even in cultures. So all of those things are good things, but without the relationship peace, they produce bad things. And God understood that full well. Even God himself knew that, yes, even though they have my word and they have my rules and they have my truth and they have the guidance for discipline, without the relationship, this is going to wreak havoc in their lives. And in some ways, even help the other side, so to speak, because you have an enemy that's after your kids. And his design and desire for your kids is that even when they're under your roof and under your influence to drive a wedge between you and them. And they might not be able to get away while they're under your roof, but the moment they can get out from under your roof, Bubba, they are gone. And you find this situation where all of a sudden, you, you know, your kids are gone and now you as a mom or a dad, you're wanting to spend some more time. But for some reason, it's like they just don't have the time because relationship equals time and time equals relationship. And I know for a lot of us, we would say, well, Eddie, I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to parent because I didn't have a good role model, you know, growing up. And that's true for a lot of us. But the truth is, that's one of the main reasons that Jesus came. Jesus did come to die for our sins, to pay the penalty and the price for our sins once and for all, because that had to happen. But there's also a reason that much of what Jesus did is recorded in this word. God made sure that certain situations and circumstances were recorded in his words for you and I to see because according to God, this word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the living word. He became flesh and became a human being and came and dwelt among us, according to John 1.14. And he was full of loving forgiveness and truth. So not only did he come to pay the penalty for our sins, but he also said this. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So that when we're watching Jesus interact, then we could literally say that's how God handles that situation. So there's three scenarios, not scenarios, three stories I want to tell you about quickly of Jesus having encounters with people. Because we can watch the way that he handled these people and get insight as parents on how to handle situation with our own children. Because in a sense, that's exactly what's going on. Jesus comes to the children, God's children here on earth, that are all broken, that are all far from God, and he finds a way now relationally to connect with them. But he doesn't ignore the truth. He doesn't ignore the rules. He just understands that the most important thing, first and foremost, is that relationship. The first one is the story of the woman at the well. And it's a really interesting story for a lot of reasons. So you have Jesus and he's been teaching in one town and he's on his way to go to another town, but he takes a detour to encounter a person. 
And it would be a detour kind of like this. It would kind of be like me saying, hey, this service was great. And then as soon as this service is over, I'm going to go to a service over there at Seacoast. And Seacoast is in Mount Pleasant. So I could just jump on I-26 and, and pop over on the, on the Mark Clark cross the river and boom, I'm right there. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to go down 52 through Goose Creek through Monk's Corner and come around that back way. That is the kind of detour that Jesus took to encounter this woman. This woman lived in the town of Samaria, and so she was not a Jew. So already she's dealing with the fact that she probably felt kind of less than because she didn't feel like she was chosen. But she is coming to this well at a time of day when nobody else from the town would be there probably on purpose, probably because she didn't want to have to deal with the looks and the stares and the comments that people use talking about her because of the way how her life has turned out, because of how broken she is, which is very obvious when you look at her life and how she's living. Now, I want you to see this. Now, this is a heavenly father, God himself, going to encounter her in that state of being. And so Jesus comes to this well, and it's in the middle of the afternoon, and now the woman comes to get water, and he sees her coming, and when she gets there, she gets ready to get some water, and he's like, man, I'm really thirsty. Would you mind giving me a drink? She's like, hold up now. Look here. I know you're a Jew. I can see that you're a Jew, all right? And hey, y'all don't talk to us. I'm a Samaritan, so look, buddy, I don't know what you're selling, and I don't know what you want, but just leave me alone, okay? I'm just going to get my water out of this well, and I'm going to be about my business, and Jesus said, ah, you know, I mean, if you understood like the good things that God has for you and who it is that is offering you a drink, you would be asking me to give you a drink of water. He's like, look, buddy, you don't even have a bucket. All right, I've got my bucket and my rope. I'm about to let it down in here and get some water. You got nothing. So how in the world are you going to give me a drink of water? And he looks at her and he says, you know, funny thing about that water you're about to pull up out of that well is when people drink that water, they're going to get thirsty again. But I've got this water that is living water. And I know what's going on on the inside of you. And I could give you living water that would produce life inside of you and would never run dry and would always produce this life in you. And all of a sudden now, she sees something in his eyes and hears something in his voice. She connects with him. And this, and this hope rises up on the inside of her. So much so to where she's very much aware. Now, somehow this man is aware of what's going on the inside of me. And she says to him almost desperately like, please, yes, I need water like that. Please give me a drink of that water. And so Jesus makes this relational connection with her. And then just as, as, as gently as possible, he says to her, you know what, I will give you that drink. Just go get your husband and come back and I'll give you the drink. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm not married. He said, that's right, you're not married. But you've been married for five times and the man that you're sleeping with right now is not your husband. And you know, in that moment, most people might feel a sense of, of shame or condemnation, but because of the way he has engaged her, because of the way he has recognized who she is in this brokenness and tried to help, she realizes now that there's something supernatural about this guy. And so she launches into this whole thing. She says, you must be a prophet. There's no way you could have known that. I don't know you and you don't know me. So now she goes into this whole thing talking about God. 
So even though she's a Samaritan, she has heard the Jews talk about God. And she says, you know, you Jews, you, you talk about your God and you talk about how one day this Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, he is going to rid the world of all the pain and the suffering and the wickedness and the evil. And he is going to save the people. And Jesus looks right back at her and says, I am the Messiah. Now, we don't know how she lit up out of there, but she lit up out of there. And went running back to town and said, y'all got to come see what I done found at that well. I mean, there is a man that knows me. And offered me this living water. But I love how Jesus just handled that. So, so yes, the rules are you don't commit adultery. Yes, the rules are you don't sleep with somebody that you're not married to. And yes, there is a set of discipline for that. And yes, that is all truth according to the word of God. But God himself went into her world right where she was at, into that brokenness and said, I want to connect with you because if I can connect with you, now you and I together, relationally, Together, we can conquer this condition that you have. You can't handle it on your own. But that's why I'm here. And that's what I want to do. Probably the best example of this two opposing ways of handling a situation is the story of the adulterous woman. And again, Jesus is in this particular town and he's teaching um, as he's in Jerusalem and it's just bustling. I mean, if you've ever been, Jerusalem just hasn't changed. It's just always people everywhere. It's during the day, so there's crowds everywhere. And Jesus has got a group of people gathered around him and he's teaching. And right in the middle of his teaching, these men bust in, these Pharisees, these church leaders bust into his group, throw this half naked woman down in front of him and say to him, she's been caught in adultery and the law says she must die. What do you say? And I love how Jesus handles this. Because his first reaction, his very first reaction, is to immediately get down where she's at. He doesn't say a word. He goes down where she is, face down on the ground, my imagination, I believe he puts one hand on her just so that she can feel a gentle touch. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you are in the middle of your weakest moment. You are in the middle of something that you know you should not be doing. You know goes against what God's word says. And in the height, in the, in the passion, in the middle of it, immediately you are yanked out and placed in the presence of God. In your imagination, how do you imagine God reacting to that? In the middle of your worst sin. And yet here we see exactly how. Here we see God himself lovingly putting a hand on this woman. And then he begins to write in the sand. He still hadn't said a word. All these men are standing around, every single one of them with a rock in their hand, ready to kill this woman because of the rules that she has broken, because the truth of what God's word says, because of the discipline that the word of God says has to happen. He said, you know what? You're right about that. But let me show you the condition of your heart. Because what I know about you is I know this is what's in your heart. And what I know about you is this is what's in your heart. And he begins to write in the sand everything that's in every one of those men's hearts. And one by one, they drop those rocks 
and they walk away. And when everyone is gone, Jesus still hasn't said a word. He stands up and he says to her, where are the men that condemned you? And she lifts her head up and she looks around and she says, there aren't any, they're not, they're not here. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So this isn't about saying that sin is okay. It's not about saying that whatever your behavior is, it all, it's all right. It's about understanding that there's a brokenness in humanity and the brokenness in humanity results in behavior, but the behavior is not the person when they're in those weak moments and you've got to be able to separate that out. You've got to be able to separate that out. You've got to have this relational connection with your children because at the end of the day, when your children grow up and leave your house, I promise you, they're not going to come home later because they love the rules that you have there. And they're not going to come home later because they love the truth that you spoke to them when they were there. And they're certainly not going to come home because they want you to give them another spanking when they're 25 years old. <laughs> they're going to come home because of the relationship that you built with them. Another story that I love that's kind of on a completely different track than this is the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So he was the IRS agent of their day and he collected taxes on behalf of Caesar. But not only did he take what he was supposed to take, he extorted people for more. So think about a rogue IRS agent who just comes into your business and says, I want to see your books. And if you know anything about the IRS, if they want to find something, they will find something. And Zacchaeus knew how to do it and knew how to do it well. So he was finding stuff all the time, getting more money, getting more money. And the funny thing is, he's a little guy, because if you grew up in church as a kid, you've sang the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, yes. He's this little guy, right? So I don't know what Zacchaeus' story was, but whatever it was, he might have been small in stature. You might have been bigger than him, but he had done figured out that this world is broken and it doesn't work right and it's every man for himself. So I'm going to get mine and yours. And so Zacchaeus is this very wealthy, powerful guy, but Jesus is coming into town and he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about these miracles that he works. He's heard that this Jesus guy claims to be the son of God. And again, we don't know what was broken. We don't know what that materialism in Zacchaeus, what he was using it to try to feel, but we know he was trying to feel it because he was trying desperately just to lay eyes on Jesus, so much to the point that he climbs a tree because he's so short he can't see, to get up in the tree just to lay eyes on Jesus. And Jesus sees him. And Jesus walks right over to him. Zacchaeus! And you know all the religious leaders were like, oh, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to lay into him. He has been making a living off the backs of our, the hardworking citizens of our town. And Jesus is about to lay it on him. And Jesus says, come on down out of that tree, man. I'm going to go to your house for dinner tonight. I want to have a, I want to have a meal with you. All them religious leaders. Where are them rocks? Where's them rocks we dropped early? I'm going to pick them suckers up. <laughs> Jesus goes to his house that evening. The religious leaders are talking. He must not be the son of God. He must not know who that is. If he knew who that was, there's no way he'd step foot in his house. That guy's the worst of the worst. He's taking advantage of all these people. He's so greedy. He's so mean. He's so ugly. And Jesus goes right into that house. And something about that encounter, something about Jesus recognizing him, something about Jesus adding value to him as a person, calling him by name, 
And whatever little bit of conversation happened, we don't know because it's not recorded. But what is recorded is the next thing out of Zacchaeus' mouth in his home. When Jesus comes in there, Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to give back everything I've ever stolen from everyone. And from now on, half of everything that I make, I'm going to give to the poor. It's this heart change. And it all centers around this whole idea of relationship. And I know that it's hard. I get that it's hard. And to kind of help you with sort of what you're up against, because I would be the first one to say that parenting now, I'm looking at several young families in this room that I know, I pray for you guys. Because it's way harder now than it was when my kids were little, as hard as that was. But the reason it's so hard is this force that you're up against. Take a look at this video. Parenting is about relationship. And the reason it is so hard to parent in today's culture is because we are living in a culture that is shallowing out. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting, but if you have, you'll, you'll kind of get this picture. When you float down a river, if you're in a boat or a raft or whatever it is, when you come to the deep and the wide places in the river, everything slows down. The water moves slower. It's deeper. There's a depth. And it moves easier. And sometimes the pace might slow so much that you even have to paddle some to keep the momentum going. But as the river begins to shallow out, the force of all of that water moving into that shallow place in the river just creates this incredible push that moves at a rapid pace. And our culture has shallowed out to the point that it is pushing us and forcing us beyond deep relationships. It fights against us slowing down. It's constantly pushing and forcing us not to slow down, not to go deeper. And the social media craze is a great example of that because there are people that will spend hours and hours and hours chatting online to somebody that they can't see or touch or hear. And that is a pseudo relationship. It's, it's not real. If that's all that there is, it's shallow. And how did we get here? Well, a verse that most Christian parents are familiar with in Proverbs is Proverbs 22.6, and it is the patented parenting Bible verse. In the New King James Version, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I love the message version, which says, point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. Right now, our kids are being pointed in the wrong direction. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, what your kids is hear, are hearing is, it's okay to have an abortion. It's, it's okay to have sex before you're married or even at a very young age, that, that different ways of having sex are okay as long as you don't go all the way, that really your gender is not determined by the sex that you have when you're born, that it's okay to use somebody else to benefit yourself, that it's okay for two people of the same sex to get married, that you really shouldn't judge that, and on and on and on. They're, they're pushed and forced into the next thing or possession that the secret to happiness is success and being famous that the next thing or the next gadget will satisfy that hole in their soul your kids are being pushed 
by a force of media machines and corporations that will stop at nothing to develop your children into shallow thinking, materialistic consumers that they can now feed off of to line their pocketbooks. And the only way to stop that force from getting your kids is you have to show your children how to enter in to something deeper. You have to show your children the value of relationship. You have to show them that it's not about this fast pace. It's not about this going and going and going. You have to be the one to help them enter in to something deeper. All your kids need is you. The only way that you can show your children how to do this is you have to know them. And the only way to know your kids is you have to spend time with them. Time is so precious. And every second that ticks away can never be regained. It's gone forever. And right now, our kids are being robbed of their parents because parents aren't guarding their time. We've become so busy at doing what really doesn't matter that we're losing the only thing that does matter, our children and our relationship with our children. Isn't that good? Yeah, the funny thing about that is um, when I was asked to speak on parenting this weekend, I, I, I met somebody, well, I didn't meet somebody I knew. I saw them at the Cathedral Academy basketball tournament last weekend, and we were talking, and she said, you know, when we, uh, my very first time at Cathedral, you were speaking, and you did this message on parenting, and it just really impacted me. I said, oh, really? Like, do you happen to remember when that was? <laughs> and she said, yes, it was 2011. So I text real quick, Wanda Lichtenberg and Jack Murphy, our video guy, I said, okay, somebody just told me that I spoke on parenting in 2011. Is there any chance we could possibly find that video? I kid you not, less than five minutes later, Jack texts me back, goes, yep, found it, I'm uploading it, I'll send it to you. And I watched this segment and I listened to it and I sat there and I went, man, that was good. And then I panicked because I was like, I can't say that again. There is no way I'm going to say that like that again. It is not going to come out. So Jack took that audio. That's 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Where are we at now? And, that, and, and that's, that's the thing. It, it's so hard to give practical advice on, okay, Eddie, but practically how do I do this? Because practically it's so different based on your children. I look at the children that just our staff people have. I look at Dave and Macy's four little boys. I look at Megan and Luke's three little girls. And I think each of those girls are completely different. Every one of them little boys are completely different. And then the boys from the girls, that's a universe of difference. And so how do you enter into their world? Because I remember seeing Luke when his little girls were young and the way that he would enter into their world is sitting on the floor and letting them put lipstick and mascara on him and do his eyelashes. 
I know Dave now, you know, Dave gets home from work and, and it's almost dark by the time he gets home. And so entering into their world is they just love a fire. Them boys love a fire. So they go get sticks out the yard and they throw it in a fire barrel and they light up a fire and they just sit there. But it's not about the fire and it's not about the makeup. It's about the you're slowing down. You're telling the world, I'm not getting in your crazy river. I'm taking my family and I'm going to put my feet down in the middle of these rapids and I'm going to put with all my force and the help of Christ and I'm going to hang on to my family. And you know what it feels like when you first put those feet down in that rushing water. You can feel that force coming against you and that's exactly what it feels like when you try to enter into your children's world and pull them out of that current, out of that grip of where this culture is trying to take them. But we have to do it. We have to do it. Because again, it's not about the rules. It's not about the truth. It's not about the discipline. It's about the relationship. And then here's the really cool thing. The really cool thing, because this is what I know. I know there are people in this room, you're like, Eddie, that, I've already passed that point. My kids are gone. I didn't know that. I did the rules part really well. And man, I laid that discipline down. And, you know, I was as godly as I could be. I didn't understand that relationship piece. Nobody ever told me about that. And now, but the cool thing about a relationship, doesn't matter what age they are. It's never too late. I don't care where your kids are at right now. I don't care if your kid is the woman that's been married five times and is living with somebody they're not married to. I don't care if your kid is out there sleeping around or doing drugs or doing whatever they're doing. I don't care if your kid has sold out to the whole thing of success and wealth. I don't care what it is. You can go into their world and you can love them and you can add value to them. And that value is not based on if you come to church with me. That value is not based on if you'll come to Easter service or Christmas service with me. That value is not based on, well, if you'll just quit doing what you're doing. No, no, no. No, no, no. Jesus went right in there. Jesus went right in there and that behavior didn't phase him at all. Because he knew that behavior is not that person. And you know for a fact as a mom and dad, when you see your kid acting in a way that is not them, you know it. And you know it's not them. And so you have to ask God to give you wisdom with how to love them where they are with the behavior and how to build that bridge and that connection and that relationship because nothing, nothing can separate that. Now, there's a lot of things that are different between different children, but for those of you that have young children, I'll tell you one thing, one thing very practical that is common to all of you, and it's this little thing right here. This in the hands of your little child is no different than a loaded gun. If you would not allow your child to take a loaded handgun into their bedroom by themselves, then why in the world would you give them this? Why in the world would you give the world access to your child's heart? And you know what? Yes, there are pedophiles and yes, there are wicked, evil people that are out there that are seeking to do them harm. But you know who can do them the most harm, especially when they're little? Is their own friends. 
You know how many group texts, group chats, all that, somebody, some little kid shares something intimate, a moment, something they're proud of, a picture, something they've done, and then their friends just shoot holes in it. That's stupid. That's ugly. You're ugly. All through this. So if there's any one practical thing I could tell you, you need to get control of this. Some of us in this room, we need to get control of this. Yes, there's some good that comes of it. I get you get to send pictures to grandma and I get there are some good, but you need to take control. Put those feet down in that water and even though you're going to feel that rush, I promise you, as you stand there and as your feet begin to adjust, you might slip a little bit. You might slip and go down the river a little bit further, but you're going to keep catching rocks and keep catching rocks. And that word is your rock. And eventually you're going to hit a place where those feet land firm and that water's just going to gather and go around you. And right here in front of you where you've got your family is going to be a nice little place of calm that, yes, you can feel it and you know it's there, but they don't know it's there because mom and dad are sheltering them from that force and from that push. Would you stand up with me? This time of year, you know, we're leaving Thanksgiving, we're headed into December, and December is this, is this crazy dichotomy because right now that, that raging rapid, that, that push of the culture at Christmas time, it ramps up even stronger and gets even more forceful. But also at the same time, in this weird kind of way, it's like God opens this window. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it. It's like it's this time of year where we're celebrating Jesus doing what we need to do, Jesus leaving his comfortable place, what he wanted to do, how he thought things would go, and coming down into our mess, into our dark world, into our sinfulness, our messiness, him coming down to us, we're celebrating that. And it's like there's an extra special grace. And now is a great time of year to build moments to shelter and protect your children, to build moments, to have moments that, that add value to them. And some of y'all just need to get fun, okay? I'm gonna tell y'all that right now. It's not about just telling your kid, hey, get off that phone. We're gonna play a board game. <laughs> how about, hey, I got this awesome game. We're gonna play it together. I think you're gonna like it. You know, how about getting to be so much fun that they don't want the phone. They don't want the game on the phone because this is a lot more fun. Okay, that's the kind of thing that you do. And find something that they love, dads. Okay, if you got your teenage boys or whatever, don't pull this one on your wife because she knows this trick. I know this trick. Hey, I'm going to go connect with Junior. We're going to go play golf. And Junior does not like playing golf. Okay? Now, if he likes playing golf, great. Good. If he doesn't, don't take him to do that. My son, Matthew, I love to hunt. At a very young age, I started taking him hunting. And I, I learned after a few trips, he, he doesn't want to kill anything. He doesn't really like hunting, but he does love outdoors. He does love nature. He loves taking pictures of animals and landscapes and all of that. So I think, okay, that's what we need to do. That's how I can help him as a dad. Because it's not right as a dad to say, oh, you're going to be a hunter. You'll learn how to kill something and like it. <laughs> no, that would violate everything God made in him. I was like, let's figure out a way. With my daughter, it was going to father-daughter dances. Her first three father-daughter dances, she got all gussied up in her little dress. And you said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to go marry daddy. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, then she got old enough. She's like, oh my gosh, that's sick. <laughs> no, we're going to the father-daughter dance. 
But it's just little things like that, little moments that you can find. And they're just these encounters that Jesus had, a moment, a moment, a moment. And each one of those moments radically changed the direction of somebody's life. So I'm not saying you've got to have a Hallmark movie every time from the moment you wake up to the time you go to bed. I'm just saying, guard your time. You control the time. You control the atmosphere in your home and build moments to connect with your children. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you guys. Lord keep you. Have a great, awesome week. And be back here Sunday for the first Sunday of Christmas at Cathedral. God bless you guys. Take care. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.